0: Alright, welcome to the podcast everybody. I'm Josh. I'm Dan. We like to watch movies and uh, judge them subjectively as to whether or not they hold up. We don't really like the name of our podcast.
1: Speak for yourself.
0: But it's the name we get.
1: It's like how your parents name you. (laughs) Yeah. They call you like Holdy at first and you don't like that and...
0: No, you assert yourself in high school as it
1: holds up. Holds Mom. up.
0: Um, well, Dan, how are you holding up?
1: I'm doing pretty well. It isn't very hot in Seattle, it's like mm, high 70s.
0: Oh, you're lucky.
1: Yeah. Had a couple sunny days. And really, that's been the beginning of our summer because it's been pretty cold so far. But late yeah. July, here it comes.
0: We had a brutal weekend, and actually, it was it, the te- temperature wise, it led up today, and it's going to get even nicer tomorrow. But we're having severe flash floods and thunderstorms. There was a, a bear at my workplace today. Oh, hanging out by I the tell. entrance to Schumann Hall
1: like a bear from nature.
0: Yeah. Oh, as if some kind of a uh, bald headed prophet had right. called it down from the mountain. To-
1: you know, that was what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh well dan i saw a bunch of stuff this week i'm getting ahead on things we're gonna miss a week next week so i just packed my week full of movies i think you saw a lot of stuff too
1: i I saw a few things we saw one thing that was the same so take down the date um we can chime in about that at the same time i don't think we have to go separately
0: sure you want to start off with that (laughs) sure uh we saw the art of self-defense
1: it's a 2019 American it's dark 90- comedy.
0: <laughs> I just was looking for the director's name. Written <laughs> director, and Riley directed somebody.
1: by Riley Stearns. Riley Stearns.
0: Was... And not his first film. I thought it was a debut, but it's his second movie.
1: Oh, really? I and was hoping it was is... Boots Riley, but it
0: wasn't. No, we're not that lucky. But I, this was good enough that I will seek out his first feature. So this, I'd call this a dark indie comedy starring Jesse Eisenberg uh, as a kind of milk toast accountant character who uh, is mugged and traumatized and seeks some kind of response and ends up in a dojo learning karate and meets an interesting group of characters and an insane sensei and things spiral into madness from there. It's a stylistic kind of movie. It's not as like whimsical visually as like a Wes Anderson. It is kind of sparse and spare. My, I guess my one criticism before I heap uh, loads of praise on it is that I didn't love all the dialogue. I felt it was a little too clever and a little too everybody talked in the same kind of clever way of like, I, I like this belt and its color. I also appreciate the way it holds my pants. up. Like everything was deadpan stating the obvious for a laugh. Uh, and that wore on me a bit.
1: I liked that, and I'll tell you why. Because my experience in the world of toxic masculinity <laughs> is all role-playing and all learning perfunctory phrases to recite. Right. Because no one is willing to state their true feelings or emotions. Yeah. That's it's, that's how I received that, though I do see what you're saying.
0: It is a very interesting... Um, exploration of of masculinity and roles and that kind of stuff I was worried at the start because of that dialogue style I was worried that it was going to be like a Napoleon Dynamite kind of situation where it was very superficial and all style and cute little episodes of things and then it ends but it actually has a very engrossing story it's very Mm -hmm. well constructed the screenplay despite my misgivings about the dialogue is very very well constructed and um, I think we both enjoyed the story a lot
1: yeah, it's heading toward a, a barely concealed reveal. And I was worried that that was going to be the big climax, the big right. reveal of the film. And no, really, that just opens up the world even more to the bizarre, bonkers finish, which I, I was completely hooked. And I enjoyed every minute of that movie.
0: Yeah. And, and a year when I've taken risks on new movies and almost always come away with a two, two and a half star kind of meh kind of response very nice to see something so interesting and new and fresh really i don't i haven't seen another movie like it
1: no and it's a sort of movie just from the quick description and title that i would probably definitely skip probably yeah. definitely but that's the thing for me probably definitely right probably definitely skip but then i thought i saw the word offbeat yeah i thought huh offbeat i like that and so I went to it and you had told me that you'd gone to it but I don't listen to what others say. Sure. And so I saw it and I was excited and I was going to message you about it and then I thought wait he saw some movies think of others and go back and see if he's seen it as well and in fact you had. Wow. So, so you, you in grew order grew to be <laughs> I know in order to be a a good person I took a second and went back <laughs> to see that you had already shared that with me.
0: <laughs> yes. Wow. Well, congratulations uh i
1: will say the thank thank you I, I agree with you that the visual style was a little flat did you think that was um like a choice to keep it to, to keep the action the action rather than anything in the background
0: that's i guess that goes back to the dialogue thing where i felt like there was a little bit of a sameness through throughout sequence to sequence character to character um which may just be the the style of this filmmaker Yeah, I guess I I would have liked a little more visual variety.
1: Yeah, it was all shades of brown. Even like the ugly dog food bag that he bought was undescript. Yeah, I would think maybe contrast that with the belts, which is all color.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, You said something when we were messaging about how this movie's about the the nonsense of of folklore or something like that. Because it has all of this kind of ridiculous, heightening. What was his name? Grandmaster? Mm -hmm. grandmaster was killed on this night so many years ago or whatever
1: right and the way that he was able to defeat his adversaries sounds impossible and it sounds just like the stuff of lore and then the obvious answer to what it was is revealed in a way that i thought was smart and funny and earned yeah and i really enjoyed the ending
0: yeah yeah i really went for it really um it took what what has been a kind of a, of a simple and obvious gag in famous movies before. But really, as you say, I think it earns it and does something very interesting. And I like a dark movie that's not afraid to go there. Um, I guess people some people get really sensitive about animals in movies and they should know that a, a, a an animal comes to harm in this film.
1: Yeah, I didn't like that part.
0: And it is it, it's it, that disturbed me because it is really almost played for humor. And it's upsetting because it's it's a relationship that was really the only positive thing in his life.
1: Yeah. Well, the mercy was that it happened off screen. Yeah. Whereas the violence in the movie, though sparing, is brutal when it happens. Yeah. And I I completely winced every time. I I couldn't watch the stuff that they did.
0: Yeah. Imogen Poots uh, turns in a great role here as the the woman in, among the uh, karate students.
1: Yeah. Do I, you know her before?
0: I know her from Green Room. Do you remember that movie a couple years ago? No. It's about a punk band that gets trapped in a little venue with a bunch of neo-Nazis led by Patrick Stewart. She was in that. She was pretty good in that. She's I think a British actress.
1: Yeah, I thought she had the tone right down. She was a sympathetic character. Yeah. And I I was drawn to her every scene she was in. Um also the guy even though I have this open who is I I thought so winsome. The other guy in the dojo who's like hoping for his promotion. The bald fellow. That he doesn't get it. Yeah. Um, Is that David Zellner? Could be. Yeah, I think so. His performance was just so sincere. I liked him and I felt for him.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to place where I've seen the actor who played the sensei before.
1: Oh, I looked that up because that also interested me. And of course, I forgot.
0: Uh, face Off, Jurassic Park 3. Oh, I do actually remember him from Jurassic Park 3. Yikes. American Hustle, I barely remember. Oh, he was the governor yeah, I don't remember. we were never really here. That was last couple years ago.
1: Oh, yeah. All right.
0: mm-hmm. Oh, the Neon Demon. Did you see the Neon Demon? Have we talked about Neon Demon? Mm-mm. Oh. I think it's your kind of bonkers. You might want to get that on your radar.
1: All right. Well, what did you think of Jesse Eisenberg?
0: I think he's a linchpin. I think he's perfect for the role. And it's the kind of thing where he's carved out this kind of a character before, but this is a chance to really take it to new heights. And I think he's part of what makes the whole thing hold together. I thought he was good. I liked
1: him too. I was trying to think what other actor could have pulled off the role, and I couldn't quickly think of somebody. He doesn't. He's a character without any context. He doesn't have any family or associates, except for his beloved dog. And he doesn't seem to need his job <laughs> yeah. because as the plot goes on, he gets more involved in this dojo and doesn't really care about his regular job. And, and I, I was just so taken with who is this guy
0: in a, in a movie that's trying to sell a very strange world. I think he's a perfect lead
1: yeah i love the scene in his office when the boss approaches him and then he ends up in the break room confronting those guys who are always sitting there talking their male nonsense
0: and it wasn't a typical type of a movie comeback where he's been picked on and then he gets the it's not it's not really uh excessive force he comes back at them (laughs) it's really quite amazing and harsh but why are we
1: why are we laughing about it? There's something about it that strikes in your heart because you know what it is to be that person who's ignored and doesn't fit in with these people you shouldn't want to fit in with. They're I mean the guys around the table are jerks. His boss appears to be really nice and long suffering, right. you know, and you're awful to the person who's nice to you and you want to be in with these people who are jerks and not worthwhile and we all laugh at it because we see that in ourselves right. that's a that's a real character flaw that i right. feel that so many so many men carry but it was,
0: <laughs> it was fascinating and weird the way that he kind of it's almost like he just did the math on his own personality and then just changed it on a dime yeah. i like metal <laughs> He's just looking at a straight on cropped image of naked breasts on his work computer. He just like becomes it's like almost just like calculated. He just says, "Okay, I'm this now.
1: That's like I resonated with that completely. I feel like I did not exactly those things, (laughs) but that was my life for better part of two decades was just. Just, you know, kind of putting together who I thought I was supposed to be and trying to live into it and fake it till it worked. And I I, I saw this movie as sort of being about that. Yeah. I would totally go see it again.
0: Well, Dan, uh, I think we have a lot of other titles to get to. Um, we do. What else did you see this week?
1: Well, I saw The Farewell and I was so thrilled to see this movie because there's been crazy buzz on Twitter. And we have this... Indie house that is this, you know, very old worldy Egyptian movie theater that I actually pay money to go to Mm -hmm. because I love it there. And they have stuff you can't find other places. And you go to this place, it has a balcony that's never open. You show up five minutes after showtime, and there are maybe six other people in the whole theater on any given night. Well, we show up to this, and there's a line out the door, and we did get seats obviously but the entire floor was packed 15 minutes before balcony has open and there was just an amazing buzz about seeing this movie um because it's not open everywhere yet but anyway farewell is uh an american comedy drama film written and directed by lulu wang and it stars aquafina as a young woman who is uh, chinese american her family moved to america when she was young And she kind of laments her separation from her family in China. And her grandmother is diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and she doesn't have long to live. And so the family sets up a ruse of a wedding of her, I believe, cousin as an excuse for why the whole family would be coming to gather around the grandmother to see her one last time and uh Aquafina's character has always had a really good relationship with her grandmother calls her daily always talks to her and now americanized in one way can't understand how this is right why you would not allow someone to know they were dying but the family feels it's best for them to carry the emotional burden rather than the grandmother they see that as being a kindness and the film finds a way to embody that concept over and over where the family is just walking together as a unit and sometimes slow motion, sometimes regular speed, but you just they look like they're sailing on on water even as they walk um They always move as a clump into their into their hallway and their hotel, and one by one they fall away into their rooms or when they walk to an appointment or to a wedding or whatever, they're always just in this unit. And you really get to know each individual family member. The, act, the cast is wonderful. It's a great ensemble. And you really get to fall in love with this family and with this story. It's really interesting. Most of it takes place in China, and you see a lot of their cultural differences um, in just everyday life as well as what a wedding looks like or a or wedding banquet at least. The screenplay is wonderful. It is warm. It is funny. Um, It's a great breakout role for Aquafina. I guess not breakout. I mean crossover Mm. into something more dramatic. It doesn't have a lot of gravity, her performance. Uh, That's just not what the role is. But she takes it and does a great job with it. And she is able to Americanize it with her aquafina ness Mm. in a way I think another uh, Chinese-American actress might not be able to. And this is just great hour and a half flies by. It's one of those movies that uh, if it were eligible for international film, I'm thinking I originally thought it was, I don't think it is. Um, it would win easily. I think this is an obvious best picture nominee um, nods for the screenplay. Definitely. And maybe for uh, the acting, it, it's just a great, a great film. Everyone should see it.
0: Oh, I'm so excited about it. I've heard so much about it. Everything as glowing as what you've said. Uh, No sign of it around here. Even if I search into the future to the release date, um, I'm hoping, you know, I'm stuck with whatever AMC decides to have. They're calling them uh, AMC artisan films and putting a little Mm -hmm. gold, you know, border around the posters, whatever that means. Art of self-defense was an artisan film, apparently. But uh, I'm going to snatch this one up as soon as I can see it.
1: Oh, yeah. It's so great. And it's making a ton of money. It's, it's quite astonishing. I think it made like 1.1 million or something in 35 theaters over two wow. days, which is just huge attendance at, for a, a film that is mostly word of mouth and people just want to see it. I, I can't imagine when it opens more widely. I, when I think of like how much money Crazy Rich Asians made, not to just compare the two completely, but that same audience, I think, will certainly turn out for this and even And more so. Uh,
0: that's really great.
1: I like when there's a small, intimate, really good movie that actually catches on and gets the response and reception it deserves because that does not always happen.
0: No, yeah, and I'm always seeing the uh, portents of doom online about how we're going to lose independent movies, small movies in the theaters, and it's going to be all blockbusters. So anytime we can get uh, movies like these, um, I, I, I have two more Indies on my list that I saw this week. So, um, so I also saw wild Rose, which granted does not have the buzz of the farewell, but I had seen a couple of positive reviews. I had not seen a trailer. I just knew that it was about a young woman who wanted to be a country singer and it was an indie, So it sounded interesting. What I didn't know, cause I hadn't seen the trailer and apparently didn't read the reviews close enough. Is that the whole take of the movie? Is that it's a young woman from Glasgow, Scotland, who wants to be a country singer. Well, that's different. And, yeah, and it's kind of the latest in a in a sub sub genre of movies about UK people who really you know dream deep in their hearts about doing American things. Think of like uh, fighting with my family was very similar. So yeah, it's about this girl, Lynn Rose. Who, uh, or is it Rosalind? I don't know. There's a Rose in there.
1: She's wild. That's the thing that matters. Yeah,
0: she's totally wild. And that's the thing. She, the movie starts with her getting out of prison. And then you find out she has two kids that her mother has been raising while she's in jail. And instead of going and embracing that family and making up for the time lost and and getting back close to her kids she's immediately off to the local bar that lets her sing with the band so she can pursue her career and basically her trajectory is that she has to learn the importance of loving her family and appreciating her home before she can fulfill her lofty dreams and that's great and all and it's a pretty darn good movie i like the music and i like uh the performances and and it's very very well made but i found the character distressingly unlikable and hard to root for because they give her these it's more than just giving her hurdles that she has to overcome they make her really nasty and the fact that she has these two beautiful very young children that she just basically steps over to go be famous it didn't give me anything to hold on to as far as her personality. It goes out of its way to make her unpleasant and, and vulgar and rude in public. And then she sings these beautiful country songs. And I guess that's supposed to be some kind of a, of a juxtaposition. And it is, but um, I did enjoy the movie. I'm just, that's, that's my report is that I, I had some issues with the characterization.
1: What sounds enjoyable.
0: Yeah, it's worth a, It's worth a look.
1: What else did you see? Uh,
0: I also saw the other indie, the other artisan film I saw was Sword of Trust, a film by Lynn Shelton. Have you heard about this? No. Uh, It's the movie where uh, Mark Maron's performance has been getting a great deal of buzz.
1: Oh, yes, I have heard of it. I saw that. I did see that trailer, now that you say that.
0: Uh, Not showing theatrically, but available to stream uh, for a rental fee, so I I took it in the other night. And um, it's good. It's a very interesting idea. It does have very good performances. Mark Marin is excellent in it. It's very short and very slight, and ultimately, it's more of it's just a comedy that has dramatic elements. But it's ultimately, it goes almost to almost to like Veep level in its in its last act of of wackiness. It's basically about a pawn shop owner and a uh, a lesbian couple comes in with a. Um, sword that they've inherited from a crazy uh, one of their crazy great uncles or something like that. Great grandpa. And it's this Confederate sword, basically, with this nonsense story attached to it. And he's kind of like, what am I supposed to do with this? And he sends them away and and kind of is rude to them. And then... (laughs) immediately discovers that there is a market because of the, the way things are going in our country right now, there's a market for what are called Confederate prover items. And these are artifacts that somehow prove that the civil war uh, is not the way that it's told in the history books and the, the South really won. And then, so there's these, People willing to pay large sums of money to get their hands on these prover items. So he has to get these ladies back and they all go together to this scary farm to basically meet this guy who might be willing to uh pay them, but they have to kind of jump through a lot of hoops and they enter into this crazy world. And uh I don't know that it minds that premise for as much as it can, but it's a very enjoyable eighty, ninety minutes and uh worth a look.
1: Well that sounds very streamable.
0: Yeah, the one scene in question is a long um, uh, monologue that Mark Marin gives, and it's it's good. I don't. I, I've always thought that he was a surprisingly good actor. He also composed music for the movie as well. Oh,
1: do you watch Glow?
0: I do watch Glow. I like him on Glow. Uh, yeah, he's good. That's a that's a good show. Uh, do you see anything else yourself, there, Dan?
1: Well, I streamed something yesterday. I streamed Fast Color. Have you heard of oh. it?
0: Yes, I do. I have it. I have the Blu-ray sitting within my reach. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, well, saving it to show Shireen.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm curious about this film and its history (laughs) because I know that it premiered at uh, like South by Southwest Festival. And I feel like because I follow Jordan Horowitz, who's the producer screenwriter, that they were trying to get it out there more than it actually happened but anyway it was available for streaming for a little bit uh higher price than i usually pay but i wanted to see it because i've been hearing people talk about it um jordan horowitz is the guy who's now famed for uh holding up the card and moonlight you won best picture that's him okay Mm -hmm. and he and his wife julia hart wrote this screenplay and uh Julia Hart is the director as well and so it's drama and it's sci-fi thriller it seems to me and I don't know what I mean by this we can discuss this it seems like the kind of movie that was made for streaming that you'd expect from Netflix but what is a Netflix movie I don't know but there's something about it that seems like other things that I've seen so
0: so like a genre movie but not one that would be at the top of the bill on a multiplex
1: right it like one that has a, a sci-fi premise, and mm-hmm. it takes it to its, you know, not necessarily logical conclusion, but to a conclusion, and it's enjoyable, and it's well cast, and it looks good. And I'm trying to think, what would this um, trailer look like if I saw it in the theater? Can I imagine myself sitting in a theater seat watching this? And I couldn't. I could imagine looking around for 20 minutes for something and deciding on it and clicking it and watching it at home. So I don't really yeah. know what that, what that means, this, this new genre right. that's been created for us. Yeah, And I, and it's not totally fair for me to pigeonhole it in that way. But anyway, I'll, I'll talk about it just, just briefly. It is a uh, dystopian drama in the near future There's some climate change stuff going on where it hasn't rained in years and there aren't enough crops. And the movie doesn't hand you anything. You follow the lead character um, named Ruth, who's played by Gugu Mbatha-Raw. I think it's Gugu. Mm -hmm. Might be wrong about that. And she is on the run for something and she's haunted by visions, uh, quick flashes of horrors that we can't quite understand. And... Some people are trying to catch up with her, and she can't trust anybody, and she ends up back at her childhood home where her mother still lives, and her mother is raising Ruth's daughter, who she had to abandon. And all the women in this family have supernatural gifts and powers of being able to take things apart into a ton of pieces and then put them back together. If something's broken already, you can't put it back together. But if it starts whole and they disassemble it and it kind of floats in front of them in the air and there's these flashes of color, um, then they can put it back together. And Ruth's powers are just so much more volatile than her mother and her daughter. And that's part of the reason why she had to go away. Hers are more cosmic. They cause earthquakes. They cause the sky to rearrange and uh, David Strathairn was surprisingly involved in this as a person who is a close friend and relation to this family. And it's a totally enjoyable watch. I think that maybe they were trying to do a little, a few too many things with it. the The climate change stuff relates to where it goes, but it adds a, a hefty dimension. And uh, I wonder why when the whole world seems to be looking for this woman that her childhood home is not a place they check out hmm. um when she's in the when she's been spotted in the immediate vicinity <laughs> <laughs> that was one question that i had um but good good performances it held my interest it's visually interesting it doesn't answer all of its own questions which i like mm-hmm. and uh to- totally good for a for a watch
0: all right I look forward to seeing it, and I'll report back when I do. Can't wait. I watch two other things that I'll be very, very quick about um, in the interest of time and because they're just, well, one's not worth the discussion, and the other one, I'm not equipped for the discussion. I, there is a growing Twitter film podcast orthodoxy that says that the Wachowski's film Speed Racer is criminally underrated, ahead of its time, a brilliant uh, masterwork. And I heard that one too many times, and I said, fine, I'm going to watch Speed Racer. So I watched Speed Racer, and it's fine. It's a pixely, bright, harsh, garish-looking digital mess because of when it was made and the state of effects at the time. But it is cartoony and ugly and overly ambitious in that Wachowski kind of way. But it also has an earnestness. And they actually managed to make it a story about something like they do. There's always some kind of a uh, activist heart in, in the stories that they tell. And it was fine. It's, I wouldn't go crazy about it. I don't think I would agree that it's a brilliant movie ahead of its time. It was simply fine. Do you have any history with Speed Racer? I'm going to guess no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> no, I don't.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, how are you on Wachowskis in general? Is that even a...
1: What all did they do? Are they Matrix? So
0: they're Matrix, Cloud Atlas, V for Vendetta, uh, the series Sense8.
1: Oh, um, yeah, I'd heard of that. I I did enjoy the Matrix original, and I think that I went and saw the others, though I don't remember them. Uh, I like the Matrix a lot, and uh, I know I saw V for Vendetta. That's one that I would probably have to watch again to, to have a thought about these days.
0: Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I believe they are directing someone else's script in that case. So it it has a lot of their visual Mm -hmm. style, but it doesn't have a lot of their uh, markers. Have you seen Cloud Atlas?
1: Hmm, I've seen so many movies back in the day. Remind me what that one's about.
0: Cloud Atlas is a very ambitious movie by the Wachowskis based on a, a novel or a series of books. And it has Tom Hanks in multiple roles. That's probably the easiest way to jog your memory if you've seen it.
1: 2012, I definitely wouldn't have seen that.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's not that old. And it's a bizarre movie that takes a big swing. I like it. There's things about it I don't love, but it's a very interesting movie. It might not be old enough for a holds up. I don't know. Maybe it'll eventually make it on my list. I'd love to know what you think about it. Oh, Jupiter Ascending is another one of their movies that uh, most people hated. And some there's a few people who insist that it's secretly brilliant.
1: Yeah, there was not a me. there was a time in my life that I I guess I saw everything when I was filling out my letterbox. I I couldn't believe how many movies that I'd seen from the yeah. late '90s, early 2000s, and then something changed. Probably late 2000s, early two. I mean, I had a child. That's probably what happened. And I still saw things, but just not nearly as many things. And now yeah. I tend to see quite a bit.
0: So you get some blind spots.
1: Yeah, so had it been like 2003, I would have said, "Oh, I'm almost certain." (laughs) Almost certain.
0: So that's going to be our our sub podcast is going to be blind spots.
1: Blind blind spots.
0: Fill in those blind spots.
1: It's ableist, but okay.
0: (laughs) Damn it! You're always spoiling the fun, Dan. (laughs) It's an (laughs) JW. All right. The other thing I saw was was uh school days, Spike Lee's movie, I think just before Do the Right Thing. I'm not equipped to talk about it. We don't have the time. It would be more, more interesting if we'd both seen it, but um it doesn't feel as essential as Do the Right Thing. It has some really amazing things in it, including great performances and interesting music. Uh it has that same kind of bright and primary, colorful kind of vibe. It also has some deeply, deeply problematic elements. Uh, but I'll leave school days for other people um, wiser and more qualified than me to to expand upon.
1: Are you saying you want me to watch it?
0: I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> mind it.
1: <laughs> I don't think that's what you were saying. I also <laughs> looked back at an old movie that I never watched this week. I watched What's Eating Gilbert Grape for the first time. Oh, wow. Never yeah. seen it. So I had a few takeaways. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio is not Gilbert Grape. No. As I just kind of assumed he was. And second, um, Johnny Depp is in it, which I didn't know.
0: (laughs) And he is Gilbert Grape.
1: He is Gilbert Grape. So here was my pondering. The mother is morbidly obese, played by Darlene Cates. And I felt like the screenplay was preoccupied with that by way of other people's responses. Is this the world before my 600-pound life or something, where nobody had ever seen a person who was over 400 pounds, and they think that she ought to immediately be an object of ridicule and scorn um, when she comes out? I I was kind of surprised by that.
0: Yeah, it's coming back to me. It's been many years since I saw it, but
1: because whatever you know someone's weight is that's what it is but as she was in this movie that's supposed to be i mean they're they're cruel even her own children the way they speak of her uh, and i understand that's the plot point and part, part of how they want to escape the whole life they like the same way that she is quite literally stuck in that house they feel stuck in their world and they want to escape and that's where the catharsis is coming from at the end yeah. I, I was just surprised at that moment where she's leaving the the jail when she uh, gets Leo out after he's climbed that water tower one too many times. Mm-hmm. And she just, all eyes are on her and a crowd gathers. And I was like, is, would this have happened? Right. <laughs> that just someone is I going about like their life? Uh, that's that's horrifying.
0: I feel like that's from a time when, uh, this is not excusing, it's just explaining that, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like a movie wants to establish itself as important and serious and notable but with the one-two punch of the uh the handy capable character and the morbidly obese character as if like Mm -hmm. we're gonna just we're gonna just put these things up there on the screen folks take a good look
1: yeah and the performances are good like uh dicaprio especially for how young he was i thought he did a wonderful job and uh, Kate's as the mother, I thought she was very sympathetic. She wasn't someone who's just screeching at her children and being abusive. She truly cares for them, and she has an inner life that is conveyed. And she doesn't like what her life has become, and she has struggles. And I, I, I liked the
0: film. How does Depp hold up?
1: You know, I've never been Depp's hugest fan. You know, I'm not big on burton and that's kind of where i associate him but i think he does a perfectly fine job with the performance to me he's not the emotional center he is where everything is moving from but i i didn't get him as the emotional center of this um yeah. and of course you know juliette lewis mary steenburgen john c riley it just wow yeah there's so many people in this movie
0: I will. I'm going to mentally put that on my list to revisit it at some point. It has been a long time. It might be even a good episode, but we, I think we might have just covered most of the ground already. So,
1: yeah, I think I saw it on Prime. I think it's free. Mm,
0: okay. Well, Dan, this is a very long opening segment. Um, lots of exciting things going on. Let's take a break and then talk about your selection, Pleasantville. We're back. Dan, this week's movie was your selection, so please talk to us about Pleasantville.
1: Pleasantville is a 1998 comedy drama film written, co-produced, and directed. That's usually not a great combination Mm -hmm. by Gary Ross. (laughs) And it stars Tobey Maguire as, I'm almost sure I know his character's name, David, because he doesn't go by David through most of the movie. How am I supposed to remember that? And this is a guy who stands in, on his school's scorched, everything looked scorched in the beginning, didn't it? Yeah. Outdoor area. He looks like he eats by the trash. And it's so clear in the framing that he isn't actually talking right. to the girl who he's looking at. Like, oh, that's telegraphs a that edit. You know, it's. Coming. Oh, my gosh. It's so clear. And boy, how ugly were the 90s? I saw yeah. that that shirt he was wearing. I was like, I totally had that. Where it was like a ribbed t-shirt, V-neck collar with a too right. big, like almost like football jersey esque plain t-shirt that you got at Coles. Ugh. <laughs> and then the girl that he's lusting after, she isn't dressed in any sort of attractive way by our standards now, but I guess that was supposed to be really good looking back at the time. And she, of course, across the way, walks off with the other guy. And Cool dude. Right. And everything's depressing at school. Nothing's going to work out for anyone's jobs. The planet is dying. And, of course, these things are all true and have continued to be. But he likes to escape to pleasant film. Also at home, Jane Cosmerich is his mother. And his parents seem like they have a pretty nasty post-divorce relationship and are always fighting his sister, played by Reese Witherspoon, who's just a gift to film from yes. that time until now boy sure. does she bring good good performances and likable characters even when they're unlikable anyway she's a sister and he escapes into this 1950s sitcom now i'm going all over the place teams do yeah and well actually i can relate to that because there was a time in my life when i was probably not his age i was a little younger but where i really love nick at night because i wasn't allowed to watch a lot of contemporary tv but you know nick at night shows didn't have any swears or sex and so that was safe and so i got really into those shows and i would watch the marathons that they had every new year's eve they would have like the classic tv countdown hosted by casey Kasem, and i'd watch all 12 hours of it and i would write in a notebook which episode was selected to keep a record oh yeah and like, and I wanted the shows that I like best to be the number one pick. But who was picking it? Like one person <laughs> who, who drew the short straw, who like right. had to come up with uh, which one you was going to number executive. one, yeah. right? And wouldn't you know it, the new show that they just got that year, one of their episodes was always number one. You know, so it was <laughs> completely rigged, and it didn't matter how well your how good your favorite show was in comparison. It was never going to win if it had been on for a while. Anyway, so I could I could relate to that. And one thing I'll say, I'm getting into it now, into my thoughts on the movie, that I didn't think that Pleasantville resembled any show from that era. Yeah. I think that
0: for super cosmetically. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like William H. Macy is the father in the show and Joan Allen and to me, a wonderful performance plays the mother. And I don't think that anyone on TV, any couple on TV looked like them at that time. And the stilted dialogue they were given didn't have any imagination to it. Yeah. There was nothing going on in the episodes of the show because, right. of course, that's not the point. It, it was so,
0: just, yeah, this empty world. Yeah. So
1: I'll get I'll I'll finish my <laughs> endless plot synopsis <laughs> that has been distracted at every uh, angle by the characters. Anyway, Don Knotts for some reason shows up to give them a magical remote, and they uh, end up getting zapped into Pleasantville. Toby Maguire and Reese Witherspoon. And they are instantly accepted as the son and the daughter of the family in the show. And since Maguire knows everything about the show, he knows exactly what's going on with all the characters and all the situations. And everything is perfect in Pleasantville. And everything is pretty boring because of that. You can't miss a basket. Everything works out exactly like it should. But uh, Reese Witherspoon decides to school Paul Walker on the joys of sex and then all the school kids want to do it. And this just opens up the floodgates of Pleasantville to allow mistakes to happen. And some people are out of black and white and into color and exactly how someone gets into color. It's not exactly, it's not totally explained, but it's a a very visually interesting movie where it's shot on a, I mean in color obviously, but then with black and white together and they have to find themselves and help stop the spread of fascism <laughs> in this in this town with a real mixed metaphor about color. And Ugh. it's trying to do stuff about racism, but that doesn't work, does not work at yeah. all. Um, yeah. But we'll get to that um, before, I guess, just as easily as they got there being transported back.
0: Well, one of them.
1: Right. Well, that's true. I'm like that. Like you're bringing you're bringing the back the end back to me because I guess I zoned out at the end. So I've been Which talking a lot. But yeah, let me ask you uh, if you have a history with this
0: movie. Uh, I saw it, watching it again. I didn't remember anything. I mean, I guess for some of the famous shots and moments I remember. Again, I was a bit of a judgmental evangelical prick back in the this era, so I probably was just snooty and objected to some of the things in this movie on moral grounds, which I now, uh, many of the same things I object to, but from a much different perspective, (laughs) more artistic, just a
1: different kind of a (laughs) Puritan.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm happy to just, you know, (laughs) relitigate Pleasantville. Um, yeah, so I have lots to say and it's going to be real nitpicky and it's really subjective and it's just me versus the filmmakers, I guess, but, um, I have thoughts about it. I'll Um, say,
1: I'll say my bit before you go into it is that I would have been a junior in high school during this movie. I was excited to see it, and I think I was disappointed by it the first time I saw it. I think I had hopes for either more comedy or for more beauty. Probably like you, I was put off by its themes, where I thought, oh, well, just you have a sexual awakening, and then you're fully alive. And I was just seeing all this sin transpire on the screen, which probably made me uncomfortable. And... I think I didn't, I didn't resonate with it emotionally in the way that I'd hoped. I liked a lot of the visuals and I wished that the beauty that I saw on the screen could have hit home for me to a heart place, but it didn't. Yeah. So anyway, tell me your things now.
0: Well, okay. I, I guess I would say it's not as my reaction's not as negative as mine was to crash. Because I think that is just a complete misfire of a movie that just fails at its intention. I think I just am critical of the intention and execution of this movie. It's well made. It looks nice. Interesting cast. But this movie has premise problems. And I mean that in two ways. It is kind of a superficial sense in which the gimmick and the setup, when we haven't gotten enough character juice yet, Where all of a sudden we got Don Knotts and this remote control and then we got them figuring out the rules of being in the world of Pleasantville and you can't go past that place. And it's so worried about the forensics of being, you know, sucked into a TV show that it forgot to set up like specifically what these characters need to learn and do and who they are and and that, you know, whatever, that's just. It is what it is. It's the 90s. It it was the time of high concept movies and and also meta movies about media and people being in shows and things like that. Uh so it's very of its time. But more than just the setup gimmick issue, I think it's kind of the myopic approach of its commentary. So you know, you want to have a movie about Donna Reed learning to masturbate in the tub. That's cool. <laughs> I don't object (laughs) to that in the way I might have once.
1: I mean, that's a real quotable right there.
0: Uh, Go for it. But I guess what I object to is the lack of depth or context or history in the movie. And I, I might very well be criticizing this movie for not being something that it never intended to be. But for me, I feel like the kids enter this 50s sitcom world that intelligent people would understand is a projection of self image of the way that fifties America projects and imagines itself as opposed to just being the way things were back then. And so I feel like just right there, it gets something wrong and it doesn't have any interest in why a country would portray itself in this weird, stilted, conservative, puritanical way on television it takes it as if that's just a reality. And that's, a, that's an artistic decision that when they go in the show, they're stuck in the reality of a show. There is no cameras. There's no writers. There's no, they're, they're in it. And so then they're stuck. But to me, that limits what it can say. And then when it starts to get preachy, and I have to say also, I find that stuff in the third act where it starts to get very fascist. It's ridiculous. But it, it, it's the only stuff that resonated at all with me in, in 2019, even in the slightest, Um, So I guess what I'm saying is there's nothing here about the roots of conservatism or post-war America or religion. I'm surprised that religion never comes up, even in a hint in the movie. It's just like dummies who don't know what sex and art are until these heroic 90s teens show up and school them about how the world works.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting take. I, I felt like the beginning of the movie didn't even need to be there if they weren't going to approach it with a little more thought or care? What was the point of him wishing he could talk to that girl? That never happened again for him. It wasn't like he, when he had his moment where he came into color, it was when he stood up for himself. Why not set him up as someone who couldn't stand up for himself? Yeah. And they barely, and we had to, Have that montage of teachers saying depressing things and then a fight that he's hearing over the phone at home. Why does he want to go to Pleasantville? Why is that such a great place for him? And why did we need Don Knotts and a weird remote? And what is Don Knotts' motivation? He seems sinister. And he's he turned to... on a
0: dime for no reason.
1: <laughs> right. And then at the end, it seems like he's happy that it all worked out. right? I was like, is he a villain? Be could careful.
0: Have... You're changing things. Oh, you changed everything? Great.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. They could have gone in. What if it were, what if the whole thing were in Pleasantville? And that's where we began. And just all of a sudden, one of the characters became self-aware <laughs> and said, well, wait right. a minute. Right. And that sort of spreads through. Uh, that would have been so much better. Right. And then it kind of turns color, and we don't have to have visitors from another world school us.
0: Yeah. It's modeled that way.
1: Right. I think the beginning didn't help it. And it didn't even care about the beginning, because I think that that was seven minutes, maybe, before we're in Pleasantville. And the tropes that it was trying to go for, to me, weren't funny, and they weren't really recognizable. Like the humongous breakfast. I don't remember that. In any right. show is that a thing that you walk in and there's just
0: ten for the girl but breakfast? the boy doesn't get any breakfast
1: like Right. <laughs> I didn't understand that. And William H Macy to me was miscast. I like him as an actor, but he isn't the sort of TV dad from that era at all. You need someone like, you know, he would have been too young, but John Hamm is what that would have been. Not yeah. like lovable loser dopey that right. isn't who dad is. And there was a real preoccupation with sex in the screenplay that I didn't understand. That seemed to be every everyone's awakening. Right. But why? And then all of a sudden Reese Witherspoon's awakening is because she read a book. Right. And Tobey Maguire because he punched somebody. Right. So theirs isn't sexual in the end, but everyone else in town seems to be.
0: Well, and hers is the opposite. She comes in and sex is great when she's showing everybody how it works and, and liberating them. But then her, arc I don't know what's a cringier line, the the, the use of the word colored or oh. when she says at the end, I tried the slut thing and it didn't really work for me. Like, oh, God.
1: <laughs> we haven't even mentioned, I mean, we've alluded to it, but Jeff Daniels, who yeah. I think gives a really winsome performance. I liked his character as the guy sure. who works at the soda shop and he can't do anything except the way it has happened the previous days. So when Toby Maguire doesn't show up for work, he doesn't know what to do because he always does things in concert with, with Maguire, but he turns out to have a penchant for art making and he has a real eye for that. I didn't really under like he and Joan Allen are a couple, but really what do they share in common except that they like colors. Right just suddenly she's there and given over to it. Everyone's been lobotomized in this world. Yeah. You could, they like Reese Witherspoon might've had a real conversation with her when she was asking about what happens at Lover's Lane. What is that about? Why would she want to go exploring that on her own? What, what, what is her sense of longing or dissatisfaction because she seems very sad and unhappy But what's it been like? Have you been in Pleasantville for the last 2,000 years and every day has been the same? And just now you've noticed you're unhappy? Where has that unhappiness been for so long?
0: It's also very strange what this movie is overly specific about to a granular degree, like the rules of the basketball game or whatever, how to make the uh, milkshakes or whatever. But then how it's so vague in others when the when the town council basically goes MAGA and starts, you know, putting people on trial. They don't use the word adultery. They don't seem to care that she's with someone else. It's simply just that it's a disruption. It's generic. It's there's color. It's different. Like. I felt like it had an opportunity to say things that it decided not to. Because 50s people know about sex and art and color. They're not stupid, but they're in a specific place and time. And so the why was more interesting to me. Why is this world presenting itself this way? They're just trying to get their needs met. The thing
2: that
1: they care about is that they don't have their dinner (laughs) at the end of the day, which is... In one form of critique, you might say, that's the only reason you care about adultery, because if right. your wife is off with someone else, then how are you going to get your dinner?
0: <laughs> this adultery is inconvenient.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I could see that commentary that could have been played up, and that would have been amusing and some humor that the film missed. Uh, there was obvious Garden of Eden imagery with uh, you know the picking of that apple I, I do like that shot where she uh, pulls the apple and then the moon's behind it. Yeah, and gives it to him. And of course, there—that's that's how it happened in that narrative. That the way things are in the world came to be is that people uh, broke a rule and did what they wanted to do, and that with that comes joy and pain. That you know, now you miss the basket <laughs> right. because you, you know you went to lover's lane because that's 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 real life. But nobody ever thought that what was going on in Pleasantville was real life.
0: Yeah. There's also a weird kind of self-serving conceit in this movie that if you sent a 90s high schooler back into the world of 50s TV, he would become like an artist warrior poet. But who says that he wouldn't just like conform? That he wouldn't just be like, wow, this this place is made for me. I can... Right. Like, why does he love that show? There's something in him that pines for that world. But instead, as soon as he gets there, he's like a subversive. There's no indication of him being a rebellious character at all. In fact, he's he's quite the opposite until he's just kind of thrust into that role. And I guess I remember this from the 90s, this kind of feeling, this faux liberal sense of being more evolved and superior to this kind of straw man version of the past that doesn't even really exist.
1: Yeah, it's I wonder what would have happened if. uh Reese wasn't with him because her boundary breaking seems to be what he then has to begin responding to when change starts coming to the town. Yeah. Cause I feel at first he was kind of like, no, don't upset this world. We've got to live and conform in it. And I wonder if he just would have done that forever, but that isn't real life. That's being trapped. If as someone who's been outside, I don't understand how in the shots where you can see far, But you can't get there if the streets just keep on looping. Right. Why couldn't you just keep walking toward that horizon that you see? What happens? Yeah. That would have been something for the film to explore.
0: And in the end, if we're ready to talk about the end, I don't know what a I don't know what he learned or what he how he's now equipped to come back to life, except that he's a little more patient with his mom and maybe he'll be more bold when he gets to the high school the next day or whatever but
1: i mean i think he's learned that there are no ideals to work toward that there's no perfect world and no way it's supposed to be the yeah. way i think the movie thinks that 50s tv is held up as a utopia that mm-hmm. really that isn't utopia that's actually fascist and right. oppressive
0: yeah and i i might have missed some kind of an indication of how is he going to address the absence of his sister he has this moving heartfelt conversation with his mother and then does he say oh uh she's never coming back don't ask questions like yeah i missed that i don't, i think she's just gone and they decide not to i deal think it's with just okay <laughs>
1: it's probably fine <laughs> yeah
0: i don't hate this movie the way i hate other movies but i i it just had too many head scratchers for me
1: well, let's talk about the parallels they try to make with race yeah i you know it's it's offensive in one way and then there are, I don't know, it was just too much of a of a mixed metaphor, having all the people who had gone into color in the balcony, in the courtroom scene, as if um, they've been segregated, but people who are threatened by other people who have come alive and don't live by society's rules is not the same as white supremacy that enslaved a race of people for 400 years. There are there are dynamics that play out similarly when it comes to the way people are treated or uh, harassed or abused or put down, but what's going on in the film is not the same as America's history of slavery.
0: Yeah, and I can't obviously know or do a thought experiment of what it would be like watching this movie while black. I just have to imagine that would not be appreciated when that, metaphor it comes into the plot and it just feels like not well earned or well used
1: yeah that was cringy and that's that's an element that did not hold up for me i'll talk about what i liked i think i've been critical in this i think that probably i liked this film better today than when i first saw it mm-hmm. and i felt and i felt disappointed by it the some of the themes like as we've discussed you know don't hold up i don't like them but I do like the visuals in the movie. I like the relationships that I see, like um, even if they don't make a lot of sense or have a lot of motivation, but between uh, Alan and uh, Jeff Daniels, between uh, Toby McGuire and Reese Witherspoon, I like the way people treat one another on the whole. I, I liked the technique of putting the color with the black and white, which hadn't been done quite in that way at that time. Not so detailed. With yeah. just one little thing being in color, and the rest black and white, and then watching as everything's you know slowly turned into color, I thought that was kind of enchanting and it it totally gave me a lot to think about and a lot to talk about more so than some stuff that we've discussed. There's a lot going on in this movie, both artistically and thematically.
0: It's true. it's a high concept movie, and it's a big swing, and I don't think that it's like an abysmal failure or a bad movie no it's. It's a lovely movie and it's cool and it has its place and everybody, it, it kind of becomes a, a a touchstone for a certain type of idea where it was a movie, you know, that did some things not maybe not totally original, but it did some things in a heightened in, in a way that they hadn't been done to that extent before. And it kind of holds its place in the history of movies in that way. I think
1: mm-hmm. Toby and Reese are meant to be twins. I missed that.
0: Oh yeah. That,
1: that doesn't make party. a lot of sense.
0: No. Oh, I have I'm just looking through my I take little like notes while I'm watching and then I kind of synthesize them into longer thoughts. But I'm just looking through the little random commentary as I'm watching. One thing I conflated the town meeting scene in the movie with the one in Patch Adams and expected a lot more to happen there.
1: (laughs) That's about the same thing, though. An unearned courtroom scene.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I also wrote it's like a bizarro do the right thing when they destroy the malt shop.
1: Right. <laughs> two two weeks in a row destruction of a local yeah. establishment similarly and not similarly motivated. Right.
0: Yeah. I thought the stuff with the men in the bowling alley was funny. Um mm-hmm. this emergency meeting about dinner not being ready, that was that was good stuff.
1: Yeah, and I think that the themes that it brings up continue to be relevant as far as the the last people to given to opening themselves up or the people with the power to lose. And they're all blind to their own power in the dynamic, thinking that they're just wanting to keep things the way it was. We're trying to conserve things. Well, right. Because you have the best place at the table and people who don't are the ones who are interested in reorganizing and and you're threatened by that. Um, That just it
0: has been a theme through the ages. Yeah. Uh, let's see. There's book burnings. I guess that's the thing.
1: Why did she just start liking books?
0: It really felt like they lost a the thread. I think you're probably right that it would have worked a lot better without her along if they were just going to kind of lose her thread and then force this kind of this arc on her at the last second.
1: Yeah. Toby Maguire had to respond to her antics and the chaos that they caused what would it have been like if just he were there, and he meant to conform, and that was his dream come true, and then he starts to see the problems with it, right? And he had been the one to guide person by person to some self-actualization. Yeah. I think that that might have been a little tidier. It might have made a little more sense. They would have had more time because they wouldn't have needed right. the bookends in the in the real world.
0: Yeah. There was something throwaway in the early, in the beginning where she was having a pretend study date so that she could make out with a boy, or I guess have sex with a boy. Um, But that to me, that's almost like, well, this is a movie that, that kind of seems like it would be against the movie's whole sensibility to make her journey one where she has to realize that studying is better than sex.
1: Yeah. And I mean that that that's the the world of the generic that the film lives in too. Like you can watch that concert on M T V right. Like she doesn't care what concert it is or or why she'd want to watch it, just oh on M T V some concert.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: I like rolled my eyes at that. <laughs> so nineties, the way everyone is dressed and carrying themselves and yeah. I mean, the nineties were the was the best decade by far. This, this is just what I've come to realize. Yeah. Same way that uh, other generations like the 60s, even though 90s technically was repressive and <laughs> just like any other decade, I, uh, I would love to go back and live there.
0: Uh, I think that's what I've got on Pleasantville.
1: I think it's an okay place to leave it.
0: Yeah. Okay, Dan. Well, we are off next week. Um, so you have two weeks to watch Gattaca.
1: Ooh, who's in that one?
0: Uh, Uma Thurman, Ethan Hawke, Jude Law. Oh,
1: what's what year is it?
0: Probably ninety-seven, ninety-eight. Same as hmm, same as week. I, right.
1: I might have seen it. Firmly sounds, in our wheelhouse and our. That sounds wheelhouse. familiar to me.
0: It's a futuristic thriller about uh, DNA posing as other people and the sci-fi allegory.
1: You like those? I do. Getting to know your taste.
0: All right. Uh, we have been Dan and Josh. You can follow us both on Letterboxd and Twitter. The show is at holds up pod on Twitter. Our music is by Jonah Rapino. And we will see you next time. I'm not gonna do the script, but I'll do something that's like it sounds official.
1: Okay, and I just realized I didn't open everything that I need, so <laughs> Okay. Right now I'm frantically play? typing again.
0: That's all right. Take a minute. I'm good.
2: (laughs) Oh, there we go.